This is episode 53 of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Empowered Podcast. It's October, so it's time for a Paul and Kari episode. We're thrilled to have you joining us, and we are excited for October, the best month of the year. My birthday is in October, <gasps> hence the best month of the year. And before we get to today's topic, which is actually me interviewing you, Kari, I'm going to interview you for the show. I'm a, little, I'm a little rattled. I just It's your birthday. i got to make sure that I'm prepared for that. You just took me off guard there. Sorry, you're suggesting that you're not already preparing things? <laughs> Maybe. Well. <laughs> okay. I would suggest that you get things rolling. High expectations <laughs> this year. The big four five. That's right, everyone. 45 coming up for me. So numbers are meaningless. It's about how you feel and how you act. I act like a child. I'm young. Okay. You're really, you're really excited about this birthday, aren't you? <laughs> I better, yeah. I better live up to this. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> no pressure. Enough about me. We'll be interviewing you, but before we get to that, we need to know from you what our October challenge is going to be for the twelve thirty challenge. Okay, this one is near and dear to my heart. It's all about being outdoors and. If people don't know this already, uh, being outdoors is really key for health, for your best health. Um, people usually don't realize that indoor air is anywhere between five and 200 times more polluted than outdoor air. And so the... the I realize that in the bathroom. It, wow. The challenge... Changes drastically throughout the day. The challenge... <laughs> Is, uh, is 30 minutes outside, but we're going to do a point system. So you could do a workout outside, you could go for a hike in nature, but the minimum each day is 30 minutes a day outside. And that would count for one point. Yeah, let's but, make this competitive because... Right, because... That's how we roll. Well, the, the thing about October is that I find for myself, and we made these challenges to challenge us, and I find that this is the month where it's getting kind of a little chilly, might, might be rainy, just kind of depends on what our fall looks like. But it's the time where we start to turn into hibernators instead of those outdoor creatures we were all summer. So I wanted to challenge us to make sure we're getting outside time every single day. And we'll see if Maeve joins us on this one, but um, I think she will. She'll, she'll like it a lot, yeah. especially keeping track with points on a calendar. Yeah, break, so down, for, break down the points. So the points are one point for a 30-minute outdoor stint. It could be a walk in your neighborhood. It could be a workout. It could be anything. And, uh, and then an extra point if that 30 minutes outside is in nature. Now, you could do an hour outside in nature, so a hike in the woods, and that would be worth four points because it would be two 30-minute segments, but you get an extra point because it was in nature because of the health benefits that uh, come from that. So you're grounding, you're 
different electrical stimulus from being near nature or in the earth. And then at the same time, all the amazing phytochemicals we get from trees or being around trees. So really good things for you that way. That's the challenge this month. And we have all sorts of little resources, not only educational resources in our email and our 1230 email, but also a little calendar that is from the University of Waterloo that has different ideas that you can do outdoors every day. So all kinds cool. of great options. And all you have to do, there will be a link in the show notes for our 1230 challenge if you want to opt into that. And um, also follow us on um on Instagram, Empower Conditioning, because there will be an extra thing this month. We're going to do a workout challenge with a good friend of mine who loves the outdoors as well. She's in California, Coach China. And so when we do this exercise challenge, you can double hit this with this five-day challenge outdoors. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, cool stuff, fun and stuff. And perfect segue, talking about exercise, getting into today's topic with you. So as all our listeners hopefully know at this point, you are a strength coach. You've uh, done all kinds of study. Uh, you've got all kinds of practical knowledge. You've got real-world experience, theoretical. You've tried everything you've ever prescribed. You're constantly learning about exercise, nutrition, health, wellness, and I'm going to be tapping your brain for the next 30 minutes just to give our listeners hopefully some information uh, on questions that they might have burning in their minds about working out. So let's do it. So let's do this. So where I want to start, uh, which I think is really important uh, for everyone to understand. And I learned this about you uh, and how you look at strength and conditioning and how you look at training from a really high level, your basic guiding principles. Can you give us your kind of key points and your philosophy of how somebody should be trained, what the overarching kind of goal should be? Well, this, this came from many, many years ago, probably, I don't know, over, over 15 years ago, where in my career I had... I was working with a Canadian sport Institute and I had so many different types of athletes. So I had athletes who had real aerobic needs. Maybe they were triathletes or I had, you know, 50 meter swimmers. So fractions of a second were counting or explosive athletes like hockey players, volleyball players, and all these different athletes had such diverse needs for, um, for their goals. They were either explosive athletes or endurance athletes or just different energy systems being used. So I was the programming side of things and making a really good program to get them where they wanted to go was I was getting stuck on things. I was just like, how, how am I need to simplify this in my thinking so I can have a guiding principles to, to make sure that I'm on the right track. And I kept seeing the same things come up over and over. A lot of them was fitness was one of them. Fitness was stopping so many athletes from really tapping into their best performances. Um, and then the other things were these, these injuries. So um, injuries that came from the specificity of the sport or injuries that... Um, overuse. Overuse injuries, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Or just, just uh, the nature of the sport. So it might be a, a contact injury if it was hockey or, or football, that kind of thing. So 
I, I was, I came up with this, this guided philosophy and the first principle in it is it's just three, three pretty simple principles. And then I could kind of circle back to each, but number one was create a well-balanced fit athlete first. And the sounds only simple, yeah, it sounds really <laughs> simple, but it, it's the, it's this underlying, they need to have a baseline level of fitness and this sounds so, um, it sounds so basic because people think, well, you know, they're an athlete, they're already fit. Well, no, there's so many hockey players or so many volleyball players that are just not fit enough for the demands of their sport, or maybe they're barely fit enough for the demands of their sport, but they're certainly not fit enough to perform at their absolute best. So for instance, for a volleyball player, they have to be so, so explosive and so technical that if they're not fit enough, they might do that explosive movement, I don't know, maybe 10 times in the first set and keep being able to repeat it in the first set, but then it starts to slowly decrease in quality. So mm -hmm. by the second set, by the third set, by the fourth set, you've got this athlete who can't jump as high and can't do anything technical not because they don't have those abilities, but because they're not fit enough to keep repeating something that's that explosive. Right. Just because that anaerobic alactic energy system needs to have an aerobic foundation so that they can recover from each one of those super explosive movements in order to keep sustaining the quality of that movement. And the, the energy system that's recovering them is their aerobic energy, energy system. So if you think of a volleyball player, they would be a very anaerobic alactic, that's your super explosive moves, and aerobic, your longer endurance sport. And people don't think of volleyball as being an aerobic sport because technically it's not, but they need a good foundation of an aerobic fitness in order to keep repeating the super explosive anaerobic movements. So that yeah. doesn't mean you go and take a volleyball player and you know run them for an hour every day. That'd be ridiculous and really counterproductive to the, the, uh, their performance. But it does mean that you have to be making them fit enough minimally for the quality of their sport. And it'd be different for hockey. Hockey would be an anaerobic lactic or that kind of power zone, that really, uh, um, you know, two minute, that 30 second to two minute hard driving power and aerobic because they have to be able to repeat that. And if that aerobic system isn't there, they can't keep repeating those performances. Even, even a triple jumper or, you know, sports you think would never require any sort of aerobic ability still needs some level of fitness in order to make that explosive movement repeatable. And that is right. exactly why, you know, there's these general base training foundations, these general prep um, cycles that are done for athletes early in the season to get them fit enough for the demands of what's going to keep coming. And, and some of this happens when they have two a days and, and that kind of thing. But the thing is, is that that philosophy number one is a fit, well-rounded athlete first. If they're fit first, it's going to prevent so many other problems down the road because even, even a lack of fitness is going to create 
a almost a, a shakiness or um, or an inability to move properly, which is going to make them more prone to injury. So again, not saying that they because people equate in their mind if they need to be fit, they have to go and do a whole long sessions yeah. of biking or running or whatever. It doesn't mean that there's different ways to get fit, but just as long as that's being addressed, number one. And then number two is prevent, and, and I, I apply this to clients as well. So that number one, it's a, it's a fit client first as well, because sure. it's life over limb. So somebody might want, you know, a fantastic looking body, but at the same time, you know, they might be doing a whole bunch of things that are really unhealthy. So from a philosophical standpoint, it's, it's that fitness and health, number one, in order to, to create the next steps of whether it's how they want to look. And, and they'll end up going hand in hand because form follows function. Once that functional ability is there, there's going to be some level of the aesthetics that follow. And then you can refine that once you get into your next steps. But so number two ends up being preventing what the sport or life for the client does to the athlete or client. Pre what preventing that, what your thing. When right. you say life, it's the, the dentist who's bent over their patient and leaning in, looking in their mouth almost yet, all day with long. Their head or, forward. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So for or instance. It, it, yeah, exactly. For the dentist, for the, you know, I can think of one of my clients who's a spine surgeon and he'd be getting, he would be getting um, people that were coming in from emergency car accidents and ending up operating for eight hours and literally standing and not leaning over, but in that position, it's just this slight angle forward with the head looking down and working on a fine-tuned movement and eight hours of that just would be awful on the shoulders the neck and the yeah. lower back and and also standing still for that length of time it just it's it's horrible for the joints as well anything for your back or your knees if you're in one position standing or seated for long periods of time so i'd end up creating program programming for that person that was around preventing some of the chronic issues that came from holding those positions in long surgeries. And, um, but same thing for sport as well. It's preventing what the sport does to you. If you know in the sport, I'm going to go back to, to volleyball. If you know that all the acute injuries are going to be fingers, ankles, shoulder tweaks, maybe, maybe lower backs, those are all, all going to be the acute injuries and the chronic injuries are going to be shoulders, lower back, um, sometimes knees, and, and that knowing that ahead of time, then you're doing the programming or the exercise prescription that is about creating um, a lot of support around those joints. So maybe it's a little more rotator cuff work, or maybe it is a lot of core trunk work and also work that gets them strong in those movement patterns, you know, with the with the volleyball teams, I did a lot of eccentric patterning just because if they weren't doing that preventative work, there would be, there would be ab pulls or hip flexor tweaks or, or right. things like that because there's such explosive movements with these long levered athletes. Um, 
so preventing what the sport or the light or life does to the person. If somebody's sitting at a desk job eight hours a day, then I'm typically prescribing something in there, like setting an alarm to get up and move around every, every 45 minutes, just so that there's not that extended sitting periods. Plus there's other, um, countering movement patterns that are different from what that position holds for long periods of time. And, and this is something that is, is neglected. This becomes a reactive part of programming for a lot of personal trainers. It's like, oh, the person got injured in their shoulder. Okay, so now we're going to do rotator cuff work. or As opposed person... to looking at the movement patterns right. ahead of time and being proactive and thinking, okay, you're going to be continually in position X. That's right. going to stress these joints. Let's get ahead on the game here and add the preventative in ahead of time. Right. And, and right now we see so much, um, so many changes in posture and it's not that, it's not that somebody's, you know, just suddenly they have bad posture. They didn't suddenly get a wand waved at them that gave them bad posture. It's simply that a cell phone or a screen. Yeah. It's simply that <laughs> it's simply that they're holding a position for long periods of time and the body will adapt. The body is amazing at its efficiency to respond to what we give it. And we don't really accept that. Like, well, we, we, we want to think that, oh, one workout, you're suddenly going to have all the benefits of exercise in one workout, which you do. There's all kinds of acute, acute benefits. But at the same time, you go, well, to have the long-term benefits that come from either fat loss or muscle gain or performance improvement or whatever, it takes time after time after time to really get that adaptation and you have to keep bringing that stimulus in. So, um, yeah, preventing what life or sport does to you might involve doing a number of things every day that counteract certain postural positions that are being held for hours. And I, I say to clients sometimes that, you know, you're, they'll say, I can't, I, I'm not strong enough to hold my shoulders back or I can't, I can't do it for more than 30 seconds. And then they fall back into that position. And my response is typically that, well, you, you did two exercises for this. And those exercises are fantastic to getting that area stronger but that those two exercises, those, you know, three minutes of movement that you did aren't enough to counteract the eight hours that you held that position. So it's going to be your job to try and hold the position differently for many different times throughout the day, multiple, multiple times to start to counteract what you're holding for such long periods that, right. that really doesn't work. And the, the exercise itself is serving to give you enough strength to hold that position when prior you just didn't even have any strength to hold the position because the muscles were so weak or stretched out. So now the exercise serves to provide the strength, but now you actually have to hold a different position and utilize that strength to change the positional, um, the positional uh, hold instead of having it in that slouched or phone or computer position. Right. So that's number two. Um, number three, only now, number one doesn't have to be perfect. Number two doesn't have to be perfect, but they have to be addressed. Number three is the thing that people always want first. 
and it's the <laughs> sport specific training for performance enhancement. So, um, or if it were life, it would be the, you know, the aesthetic goals or whatever it is that the client wants for improvement in how they feel or their longevity or all of, all of those things. But now, like I said, this is the first thing that everyone wants. This is the, I want to jump higher. Right, exactly. And so instead of thinking at the things that you just mentioned, the two priorities you had before that, everyone jumps to this step, you're saying. Right. And, and the, the beauty of this, though, is that if we've tackled number one and two in a way that we're at least addressing it already, they're already going to have sport-specific performance enhancement just because they're fitter and just because they've prevented what their sport or life does to them. So just because we've addressed those two things, automatically, I see this all the time, automatically they get this carryover effect of feeling better, of performing better, of recovering faster. And they, but they just, there's that, that brain frustration in the beginning of going, but I don't feel like I'm working on the jump or I don't feel like I'm working yeah. on the, the thing. It's like, yes, we are. So as long as those first two are being addressed, it doesn't mean that we're waiting weeks and weeks to work on number three. It just means that in, in the way that I've programmed or the way that we're thinking or the way that um, the communication is going between the client and myself or the athlete and myself is such that, okay, we're going to be doing these things because we've got to address these areas. And this is how we're now going into what your main focus is. And then once those first two are addressed, I'm still programming in whatever the sport specific um, training is or for performance enhancement, whatever the thing is that they're really going for. And, and the beauty is, is that it's being covered in a more well-rounded and broad base instead of, instead of just going in on this one thing that is, if, if we started with and did too much of number three, which is a sport specific um, training for performance enhancement, if we honed in on that right off the, off the hop, then I'm going to put them in a greater likelihood for more injury. They might get faster improvement right away, but find that it's not sustainable and find that they're more likely for injury or some sort of acute injury or some sort of overuse injury because they're doing too much of the same movement pattern. When there's right. too much of the same movement pattern, there's breakdown always. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't need that movement pattern, but I want them to be more resilient for those movement patterns. So it's, it's the person who says, they're the client who says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a grand fondo. I'm going to do a, a marathon. I'm going to do a, a, my first triathlon. But then all they do is the running or all they do is the biking or all they do is the three for triathlon, the swimming. And in those same exact movement patterns constantly, guaranteed there's going to be uh, an Achilles, an IT band, a lower back, a something. If they haven't addressed not only different movement patterns um, out of the same plane, done the preventative work, made sure they had that foundation before they die, dove into tons of volume on those, those specific uh, movements. Yep. So it's, those, those, are, those are how I created a way of thinking that could guide me through any scenario that that still would work and of course there's tweaks along the way and, and there's different emphases depending on the person and the situation so i can mm -hmm. still customize with everything but it just allowed for um a, a lot to be covered with a simple methodology
So those are the pillars, if you will, yeah. of your, yeah. yeah. And it, hearing it, it makes complete sense. And it's really, I think, listening to that, being aware that the third pillar is the attractive one. Mm -hmm. And it's really, if you're focused on that, you're playing the short game because you are, like you said, setting yourself up for quicker results, which seem better, but over the long term, you know, the long term view, the not just looking at the next six months, but looking at, at a career or at building for true high performance, it's not going to work. It's using yeah. all three and combining those. Yeah. And it's that so, third one. That's the all show, no go. It's the third one that would be the clickbait. You know, it's yes. the thing yeah. that it's the one that, you know, if, if I wanted to, if I wanted to sell somebody into coming into the gym, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to make you jump higher. I'm going to, you know, and yeah. sure. Those things are true. But that's not what we're, that's not what, what the main right. uh, emphasis yeah. is because you will get that. Yes, you absolutely will jump higher. That's, that's easy to do, but it's not as easy to do it in a way that makes you someone who lasts a long time. And, and I'm going to use you as a quick example. It is so easy to get performance results out of some young athlete who's, you know, maybe 14 to 18 years old, the, the room for improvement, the stimuli and response, all that adaptation is just crazy easy to, to attain. But you take the 30 something year old professional national level athlete, the diminished returns are ridiculous. And that's where it takes really, really knowing what you what you're doing in order to get the smallest of results. Yeah. You know, you take that Olympic level swimmer who's trying to get fractions of a second off their, their race time. It takes a lot of really thoughtful prescription and really careful programming and work and interaction and communication and all those things in order to get those results. And, um, but really when it comes to, overall general clients it gets a little harder as clients get older um they're not as likely to respond but they still it's so much easier to have them get results or have have young athletes get results young athletes get results because they're coachable they're ready to go they're going to do all the things and the results come just like that the older clients the reason that they may not get results is because they're not as compliant. They're not doing, their brain gets in the way. They're not doing the things that yep. they need to do in order to get the results. But um, yeah, so there's different issues in each scenario. Well, that leads us into probably the, what I would think, or maybe hope is the, the big question on listeners' minds of how do you, and before asking this, I do want to say that a little bit, a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. So I don't want you to go too deep into this. And the question is about periodization. I just want you to explain what periodization is from a high level. Uh, and most importantly, maybe just focus on recovery in the, in your response to this question. But if you could give the listeners a rough idea of what periodization is and how it relates to thinking about a program, that they're on or that you would be creating or that they're working with a strength coach on what is it and why is it so important and make sure you touch on recovery. Um, periodization is that is, is the map 
it's the plan with all the details as to how to get from point E to point B. And within say an annual plan, you typically have mesocycles. So that would be maybe a, anywhere between a four to eight week training block, most typically. And within those training blocks are built in recovery. So in a, maybe in an eight week training block, I might've done a, a build or a work cycle of two or three weeks and then a recovery week and then a build of two or three weeks and a recovery week. And those types of cycles are like that because they uh, follow how the body physiologically responds best. And the reason we do a plan like that and plan um, for builds and recoveries and cycles, and then that builds towards maybe a longer term goal that might be coming in eight months or might be coming in a year, or maybe six months, whatever it is. The reason we do those things is because that's how physiologically the body responds. We do not ever respond in a linear pattern. You think of a woman's monthly cycle, it's not linear. There's different fluctuations that happen. You think of there's all sorts of different ways that we respond and it is not linear. We do not just work and work and work and get improvement, improvement, improvement. So what happens is that our body gets a stimulus and when our body gets a stimulus, if it's more than what we currently normally deal with, then we respond not only in mechanical ways, so biomechanical, we respond in neurological ways, our nervous system, and we respond hormonally or our endocrine system. If the stimulus, which might be the workout or the extra load or whatever it is, you can make your stimulus, you carry some really heavy groceries back from the grocery store and you walked and you weren't anticipating walking and they were way too heavy and you're going to be sore in your biceps or your grip or your forearms or something like that because it was too much of a stimulus. So that stimulus is going to cause a response. And when that response happens, you are performing worse. And this is where clients get stuck if they weren't athletes in the past is that they're working out, they're working out, they're working out day in and day out. And then they're wondering why they're running slower or right. they're tired or they're sore or they don't feel like I'm progressing down. And it's just like, well, because you keep overloading and overloading and overloading and that causes the adaptation side where your body's trying really hard to deal with everything mechanically, hormonally and neurologically. There's different types of fatigue. But when that happens, they're in this dip phase where they're not performing very well. And so that is where the recovery is imperative. And there's so many different ways to get recovery. You can recovery, cover certain body parts by training other body parts to give another area a break. You can have a complete day off. You can have a week that's downloaded. So you're doing less than you had been for the previous three weeks. There's so many different ways to recover, but there has to be recovery. And if there's not, there won't be the adaptation to grow because what we're trying to do is create that fatigue, create that overload, and maybe even get to a zone, which is what we call overreaching. And then when we get recovery, we get what's called the most amazing thing, which is super compensation. And once people get that Sounds super com compensation, then they're running faster and they've lost some weight or they've 
you know, they've increased muscle mass or they're stronger and all the things happen depending on the programming of, of what's been created. And that's another important thing because if somebody is just doing workouts, they, they need to really mitigate what their expectations are. So if somebody's doing a workout every day or maybe, I don't know, four or five times a week, whatever it is, and they're recovering well from that because they're not, um, maybe they get the weekend off or maybe they, um, they're not doing much other activity for the rest of the 23 hours of the day. Um, but they keep working out, workout, workout, workout. Then what is the expectation there? Are they working out to lose weight? Are they working out to get stronger? Why are they working out? Because if the stimulus isn't specific enough or um, guided enough, then they might not be getting enough of a overload in the area that they want to improve upon. So they might just get the feeling of feeling really good because they worked out every day. They might get the improvement in mood, the improvement in energy, the improvement in sleep. But maybe that's not what they were going for. Maybe those things were already really good. Maybe they were going for an increase in strength or weight loss or something like that. And the random workouts every day aren't getting that. So that's yeah. where a plan comes in in not only exactly what's being done each day, but the prevention of whatever they're previous injuries are or what their life does to them or what their goals are. So all of that needs to be planned in. Otherwise it's just working out. It's not actually training for something. When and you that, train for something, then that's a, a different beast. And that really in a nutshell is the periodization then. So you've got those specific stimuli that you want to give someone in a program at the various steps to push growth and challenge the body in new ways, but then at the same time, balance that with those recovery periods so that they can come back and hit that stimuli harder the next time around at a higher baseline level. So you're kind of raising the bar, almost thinking maybe, I, I don't know, I picture this in my mind as something where somebody's working maybe three steps forward. They're taking a step back in recovery or in when they're fatiguing at the end of a short cycle, but then by re getting that recovery, they're now starting their ground floor two steps ahead of where they used to. Yeah. And that would be kind of a, a pretty simple linear periodization with a progressive overload and building in the recovery. You know, there's, there's a lot more complex ways to do things like different concurrent styles of periodization or block periodization. And there's, there's all kinds of different ways to do it that get more complex, but that depends on what the person's goals are. If they're, you know, if, well, so yeah, yeah. if someone's periodizing for a, uh, a figure skater and you have to plan in not only their choreography, but their jumps plus their, their, their actual physical training and their off-ice work and all of that stuff is all included in layers, you're almost creating an orchestra of events that needs to come together in all sorts of different layers and ways and that gets pretty complex versus someone who wants to run a 5k and lose five pounds you know it's a lot more simple um so those are but those they still are types of periodization so that we are honoring the body's need for recovery especially 
in this day and age of constant stimulus, you know, sometimes part of that recovery just needs to be um, less screen time or, you know, less yep. do, do, do and more downtime. So, you know, there's, it depends on the person, everybody's different. And that's, and that's the thing. Most of the time when people are just doing general workouts, they're not, um, they're not quite being intentional about, well, why am I doing this workout? Am I doing it just because I'm supposed to, or I'm, you know, not happy with my body? If, if someone's driven to work out every day because they're not happy with their body, then it's going to become a pretty crappy relationship. Right. And really looking at everything you said in the last 30 minutes, um, from your pillars of your philosophies of training to the periodized planning, it really boils down to anyone who has a goal um, either to work better, to perform better on the court, to swim faster, to run the 5K at a new PB. Whatever it is you want to get better at, you need a plan. You need a workout plan that addresses what you're doing and is going to be countering the negative effects of your chosen sport or profession. And then you need that plan that takes into account everything that's happening for you. And I mean, we could spend hours talking about periodization and the, the nuances of a, a season where uh, a team has goals of competing. Uh, maybe I'm going to use volleyball as it's my go-to, but for a league cup competition, but there's a the regular season competition going at the same time and a European cup. And depending on how you do in each, you may want to have a different peak in the season per performance or goals are changing or injuries happen. And But again, it's getting back to this plan where the strength coach clearly knows the goals of the client, the team, of the athlete. And there's that symbiotic relationship where you're working together on this plan throughout the training period to get the best result. And so really, that's why I don't want the listeners to think, okay, Kari's told me about periodization. I'm going to go do it. Don't. Mm -hmm. You need to be talking to someone who's trained in this, who understands the all the aspects that come into play, the neurological, the physiological, all those different elements so that you are maximizing your returns and not just plugging in workouts and wondering why things aren't changing. Yeah, like everything you're saying is, is right on point and you've had so much experience with this too. Um, what's really been in my space lately is what I'm seeing from a, from a corporate standpoint when I'm seeing clients who are in high-level corporate positions or their healthcare providers, their doctors, nurses, I'm seeing these people who really care about health, they believe in health, and they're just becoming really unhealthy for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's a lot of travel, maybe it's work shifts, maybe it's go, 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 maybe it's their level of stress. But these exact same concepts are critical mm. for people who are like, these are people who value health and will work out and they will work out consistently. But because they weren't maybe a top level athlete and they never had someone plan out recovery or look at how to, to manage all of this, then they don't they don't work it in in any way they just keep working out and 
Well, yeah, they, I mean, the other thing that's worked for them is hard work. And so mm-hmm. for them, they're, and they're more, driven, more is better. So driven yeah, people. I keep doing this. That's going to be the best way. Right. Yeah. They're, they're driven people. They, they mm-hmm. don't want to miss a workout. So then what I see is, is all kinds of either chronic injuries or they're, they're just kind of generally burnt out, but they won't let themselves stop because stopping feels worse than driving through when they're wiped out. And so in those cases, it's the exact same thing. Like these are people who need periodized plans, but in order to get a really good one, they need to be willing to stop and take a look at their next six months to a year, what that looks like, and then plan cycles around that, around the, the travel, around the vacation time, around, and then when, when recovery is built in at the right times, and then it works with their schedule, it works with their family events, it works with what's going on with major um, busy periods within their own life, then all of a sudden, and they don't realize this, but they then all of a sudden they're going to be sick less. They're going to be, they're going to have way more energy. They're going to be feeling so much better along the way because, and they're going to give themselves permission to pull back at certain times because it's part of the bigger plan and they understand the bigger plan. Whereas yeah. if they know that they're about to travel or about to go on vacation or really run down and, and they just keep plowing through, and then they're exhausted on their vacation because they needed that recovery so much that they're just like flat out, you know, and that's not how it needs to go. It can really go in a way that they're feeling there. There are periods where they're working really hard and they're feeling a bit tired, but then they know that in the next week is their recovery week. There's going to be lower volume. They're going to do a couple little things. They're going to really rejuvenate their energy. So it's a period. It's almost like a corporate periodized plan for it's the strategic imbalance that I, that I talk about and it's for greater performance. It's for greater health. It's for greater vitality and energy, but we don't think of periodizing that way for corporate people because they're, they're not the athlete, but they really are. They're like the, the physical and mental athlete because they are just going all the time and need to have this high level of mental performance as well. And they really care about their physical and health performance. Yeah, that's an awesome point, and the similarities are mm-hmm. so clear. You know, it's whatever it is, the realm of looking for peak performance for for whatever that endeavor is. Uh, I want to give you a couple. Want to do a little myth busting, just Uh-oh. really quick before we wrap up here. Uh, okay. Just just for listen, these are I don't know things that people might have thought of, might not, but uh, here's an easy one. Spot reduction of fat. I've got some extra weight around my my midsection, so I'm going to do some sit-ups to get rid of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, do lots of sit-ups to get rid of it. No. Why won't that work? <laughs> because I there are still people out there who believe, believe in this. So, so yeah. why does it work? Well, really quick. Okay, okay. Um, in losing fat, we lose it everywhere across our whole body. So it's almost like you look when people are losing fat, they look like a shrinking person. I've taken so many photos of different clients. And as they've lost fat, they look like a shrinking person, they don't lose it in just one spot. And here's the thing, where they tend to put their fat, say it's like in the in the gut, or maybe it's the hips or whatever, where that person genetically puts their fat, it's the first and last place to come off because that's just where they hold more fat. 
So, but in general, it all kind of melts off. It looks like a shrinking person when you take picture after picture, it doesn't come off in one spot. But what people might remember is this principle called the said principle, it's specific adaptation to impose demands. And all that means is that if you work one spot, that's the spot that you're gonna get stronger. So I think people sometimes confuse the concept that, that they can get better in that one spot, which they will from a training perspective, but not from a fat loss perspective. From a muscle standpoint, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so another one. Uh, I've had a great practice on court. You guys worked hard for the hour, hour and a half that we were you know, having our basketball practice, and now we're going to finish off practice with some suicides to work on our speed training and get faster. So, you know, because I've been coaching this team for a long time, and I just know we do some sprints at the end of practice, suicides till the guys are dead. That's really going to help our speed later on, right? No. Okay. So, come on. First of all, okay, I'm gonna dif- <laughs> I'm gonna really distinguish here because this is the important part. If the coach or the athletes think they're going to get faster they will not if they're going to do those suicides for overall conditioning so then that can help some of their overall fitness and conditioning but it won't touch their speed they've yeah, done I mean, they're going to be faster sprinters no, when they won't do this. even touch their speed so they can't they are too tired by that point to tap into that energy system that is all about maximal activation and maximal speed and explosiveness that is the anaerobic elactic energy system and by the point of the end of practice it is so freaking fried they can't tap into that at that point it's not making them any faster any speed work very quick footwork anything about speed or fine-tuned technique that has to be early in in, uh, in getting the highest quality of that. And that's the thing. You can work some of that at the end of practice, but you're not going to get the quality or actually get the speed benefit. You're going to get a different effect. You're going to get a fitness effect with suicides. And suicides don't work speed anyway. They work, they're, they're like shuttle runs. They'll, they'll be more of a conditioning thing. All right. Well, thank you for clearing the air on those two points, things that we've heard from coaches over the years. So I thought I'd want to bring those up for you to answer. Thank you. Uh, in summary, last question, as we've been talking a lot about these different strength and conditioning principles, uh, obviously, Carl, you can't be everywhere at once. So what should people be looking for in terms of qualifications, something that they should be working with to help them address these things in their training and their programming? Um, you know, from an educational standpoint, a certification standpoint, you're going to have somebody who's a little more well-rounded if they have a degree and they have a certification that's a little higher end, like a, a CSCS, from, that's a Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist from the National Strength and Conditioning Association, or a Certified Exercise Physiologist. Um, there, are, there are some weekend certifications that have, have some decent education in with them like a CanFit Pro but there's just not typically enough experience that comes with that so you might have a really amazing trainer because they've 
gotten a lot of experience on their own or they were an athlete or they keep getting continuing continu continued education on their own but that's going to be the exception to the rule if somebody doesn't have all of that and they just have a weekend certification they're not always going to have all of that uh, all of what you're looking for sometimes it takes a little more schooling a little more experience to to get that uh, that that information across so there are a lot of amazing personal trainers out there but you really have to ask the questions some of the questions would be um, how many years have you been doing this uh, do you know about exercise physiology or periodization um, what does it look like when you make a person's program? How do you decide what to do? Questions like that, you'll, you'll, you'll know whether you're satisfied with the answers or not. Um, and, wouldn't, and based on what you said, wouldn't a great question to ask a prospective strength coach that you might be working with is ask them, you know, here's my sport. Here's the movement patterns. What would you expect the injuries to be? getting a feel of if they understand biomechanically what the movement patterns that you're presenting to them might be doing to your body in a detrimental way of that overuse, right? Yeah. Like if you yeah. can ask them that and they can answer that, I think that's a definite checkbox that shows that they understand how the body works and that they're going to have to address certain things that are countering the stress of your sport. Yeah. 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 There's lots of, I mean, just, just do your homework. Just ask those questions. Ask the questions that matter to you. Make sure that they know what they're doing. Those things really are important. And, and then have a plan for, you know, it's usually not, often now, it's usually not the, the trainers. Oftentimes, it's often that the person isn't following through with what they've been asked to do. Or if you know, so there, there's, oh, yeah, a, lot of, a, whole there's a lot of factors. There's a lot of factors. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, there's a lot of amazing trainers out there and there's a lot who are just have the gym as no more than a hobby. So just try and, you know, ask a few questions that are going to, and maybe we'll do an episode on what questions to ask at some point to dive a little deeper right. into that. But I have a question for you since you've asked me all these questions. Um, we're going to delve into my psyche. Yeah, well, we're going to do the book of questions by Gregory Stock, Dr. Gregory Stock. Um, okay, so right. ask yourself. It's been a while. You need to pick a number between zero and two hundred. Hopefully, it's not one you've picked before. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine is the number. I should be picking forty-five this month, but you should, yeah. But you can do that next time. Once We're going you are thirty-nine, 45. please. Do your close friends tend to be older or younger than you? There's an asterisk beside this. I don't know why that's there. Why is there an asterisk? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. Do your close, close friends, friends tend to, to be older be. or younger than you? You don't keep uh, a lot of close friends. No, I would say older though. I think, um, you, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think that is just a product of kind of my career. Uh, joining the national team <laughs> at a young age, everyone else was older. And but but you lasted are, so long. Yeah, that, that yeah, definitely. There's younger guys who came through, but I mean, those initial friendships and relationships were all forged with that kind of generation or two ahead of me. Uh, so from that perspective, absolutely. And I think you know, 
going a layer deeper here. You always want me to open up, but no, uh, no. Well, there's there's I, an asterisk. I, gonna, I figured I, out the asterisk. Go ahead. Oh, keep going. It? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, losing my dad when I was just after I turned twenty, that I think I crave uh, kind of that fatherly guidance somewhat. I I feel that there are friends or people in my life that I've looked to maybe fill that role a little bit. So look for a, an older person to get advice from or seek to maybe connect with someone like that more than someone who's younger as well. So that's, going a layer deeper there. That's interesting though, because, um, because the asterisks, it, it dives a little deeper and, and what it asks is what kind of people do you like to spend time with, which you're kind of getting into that. Um, what do such people bring out in you that others do not? Mm. But, but really, and there's yeah. one, one more question that I'm going to ask because that they've added whoa, on here, but whoa. I know it's, it's the asterisk ones. They've, they've got extra questions with them to go deeper, but your it's, it's interesting that that's, but the older you get, it's, it's almost harder to find the older friend, almost mentor type scenarios, because you're older and you are unique enough in your practices, your thinking and your health levels that it's harder to draw someone who could be a mentor to you the older you get. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and so so when you look at the question, what do such people bring out in you and others do not, that I think that's why you're looking. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I think I default to thinking of my kind of closest friends as the, that early group of guys that I, I was with with the national team who are all you at least up you know, five it. years older than me or more. So they're yeah. always that step ahead in stages of life, either with where they're at with their kids or or what have you. So yeah, that's but also good question, which you looked up to them for performance like crazy. Yeah. So yeah, this definitely. last, this last one, this is a tough one. Maybe you can't answer this and maybe you can answer it as you reflect but there's on more it later. To this? There's one more question and it's what can people learn about you by looking at your friends? Gosh. Yeah. I gotta think about that. Yeah. Crazy, hey? Okay, yeah. we're going to leave that one as a cliffhanger. You can you can yeah. reflect on that. What can people learn about you by looking at your friends? And for those of you listening, think about that. I'm going to recap these questions so you can think about it for yourself. Do your close friends tend to be older or younger than you is the start of the question. And then it goes into what kind of people do you, do you like to spend time with? What do such people bring out in you that others do not? And what can people learn about you by looking at your friends, remembering what we know mm -hmm. about the five people that we hang out most with. And when it comes to training and being your best self and working out and all of those good things, um, those five people will influence that heavily. For do they sure. want to take you out for wings and a beer on Friday or do they want to go and do something, I don't know, that serves different options <laughs> yeah well, well we awesome hope you enjoyed thank the show. you for thank you carly for all of your yeah i that was a challenging 
number 39 there. I, uh, yeah, I want to thank you for all your 39. answers and providing our listeners with all that information. Again, we just scratched the surface today. There's so much to learn and so much to learn to do the training thing, right? That, uh, keep learning, keep reaching out to people, look for experts. Kari gave you some qualifications to pick up on. And finally, we want to hear from you. So if there is a topic, if there's questions that you have for Kari about training or what have you, pd at empowerconditioning.com. We want your feedback on the show. We want you to share the show. We love that you're listening. And uh, we will be talking to you guys all again soon. And if you don't want to contact him, look for us on social because your questions can help other people. So Instagram is Empower Conditioning. On Facebook, you can look for either of us. And we have an amazing group called Empowered Top Performers. If you would like to be part of that, just let us know all kinds of great health tips in there. So have a great one, guys. And thank you so much for listening.